0: Saw a word from the Ksamsoyfra and Parsha Matsoira. So you you find by the Matsoira that Gatsaras, even after the Tsaras goes away, which wasn't a pleasant experience, he still had to bring Karbunis, he had to bring the, the Shtsipuram, uh, in order to get a Kapura. And the question is why? Why wasn't the Usiram enough? The Khhiri he got punished. He went through a very uh, hard experience, he had to be sent away, and it wasn't it wasn't pleasant at all. Why wasn't that enough to get a Kapura? And the explains. Now, when somebody does chiva on his own, when somebody has his own awakening, he realizes what he did wrong, and he has his own disorders to take and amass him, and he realizes, you know what? I didn't do the right thing. Let me do chiva. Whether he does chiva meyirah or he does chiva me'ahava, and zodun is nasi kazochius. When, 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 when that kind of chiva, when, when that happens, a person doesn't even, doesn't even have to go through the asidim. Doesn't have to go through any pain. Doesn't have to go through any hardship. That's what chiva is enough. But when somebody doesn't wake up on his own. Somebody waited till Mishamayim, they had to send him these messages, and they had to give him these Yisidim. In that case, even the Yisidim itself, even the suffering and the pain that he went through, is still not enough. And it's, not, it's incomparable to somebody who, who would have done all this on his own, and that's why he still needs a kapura um, by the kabunas that he's bringing. And this is such a typical idea of how so many things in life, and so many things in relationships, and so many things about all kinds of uh, problems that, that people go through, if only we would realize it in advance before it would become an issue. By the time something becomes an issue, by the time there's a problem to solve, it, it doesn't solve itself anymore as simple as it would have solved itself if you'd be a step ahead. If you would have been aware that this problem could happen and you would have solved it before it became a problem, it would take so much less energy and time and and, and, and focus and you would have gotten so much further than now that you already had to deal with it and, and you're doing what you could, but now already there's so much more to repair. And this is something that we find in... in Both in marriage, people that neglect a relationship until it's a problem. And at that point, it it doesn't work anymore, something that would have worked in advance or something that works for other people, because now you didn't have a problem. And the same thing with Chenechabonim. So often you see a child who, for whatever reason, didn't get what he needed or didn't get what she felt she needed. And and now that you didn't have a problem, it's just, it's costing so much more. Right? An ounce of prevention is more than a pound of cure. And you see it, and very often, this is something I, I tell people often, I, I must have mentioned this in the past as well, I you see people that uh, you know, talk about different expenses. Uh, should I spend the money on my child? Should I not spend the money on my child? And it, it's, it's, it's just I just say it as a joke, and I don't always mean it, but sometimes I, I use the expression, if it, it, it's a lot cheaper than therapy. If investing this small amount of money in your child is going to make them feel that much better and closer to you and, and, and make them feel good, and it's going to avoid problems. It's going to avoid having to go for therapy or having to clean up a mess. Then it's worth it. Now, of course, the point is not to always spoil a child and you don't always give in to a child's demands. Just the idea of of realizing that once there's problems, it's so much harder and so much more expensive and so much uh, more difficult to deal with. And that's a very, very important idea. And in my book, I talk a lot about um, you know in my book Get Along with Everyone. I talk about understanding people's personalities to be able to avoid problems. It's it's so important to avoid problems in advance by understanding a person's personality and seeing what will or won't um, disturb them or bother them instead of waiting till it happened already and now now you're busy trying to clean up a mess so that's that's just an idea that's so important to understand and i'm going to be addressing a question that uh, maybe this is part of the answer okay so it goes like it goes like this i was wondering if i may ask you a question okay well you certainly can and whoever else wants to whoever else, whoever else that wants to can do so as well Abar hashem have a few children um okay listing the names and genders of girls and boys i have one teenage daughter that doesn't play an, as an active member in our family she doesn't have many obligations to do at all and when asked she always has an issue she has no problem completely ignoring me when i tell her to do something Additionally, my other girls also have come to resent her as they feel that she gets away with murder around here. I also feel resentment towards my spouse as I have asked him for help so many times to approach her and also for her to know that he is on the same page as me. My kids don't ever get that message from him and it bothers me. What can you suggest? Thanks in advance. Okay, so obviously I didn't um, spell out any identifying details of ages and and things like that, but I will say that whenever I've had this quite a few times already lately alone that people um, email me, whether it's about something I wrote or something I said, and say, hey, you were talking about me, and people, and, and, and you know, I would appreciate it if you don't use me as an example. Now, I'll tell you one thing. First of all, many times that people tell it to me, it's not even true. For some reason, people feel that maybe I'm talking about their situation, and they feel like, oh, why are you using me as an example? Um, secondly, you can be sure that whenever I use an example or I read it, you can be sure that this is so common that if anyone feels that I might be talking about you, then you know, let it be known that there's a lot of people in the same situation. And no matter how I would present a situation like this, it's, it's, it's very common. That's for sure. Now, I'm going to first point out two problems that I noticed in this letter. And I don't mean it as criticism it just as constructive feedback um, about this letter that I just read. One is that very often, and it's a similar to the idea that we mentioned as an introduction about uh, you know, waiting for a problem to come up or, or instead of being a step ahead, but, but it's more than that. Sometimes when you deal with a problem, there's the part of the problem that affects you and, and gets on your nerves and really bothers you, and very often that's the part of the problem that gets the most attention without realizing that there's bigger parts of this problem with more repercussions that might be even more serious. so let me spell this out if you have a teenage daughter, for example, who's not helping and she ignores you um, you know and she's not doing what she should in the family things like that. the part that bothers you is the part that she's not uh, participating, or maybe the part that Your sisters might be jealous or resenting the fact that she gets away with murder. A lot of that, now I understand it's very disturbing. I I really do. I get it. It's very disturbing. But I would assume that there's a much bigger part of a problem over here with bigger repercussions than the fact that she's not helping or the fact that she's not uh, taking orders. And that is the idea of an unhappy teen, an unhappy teenager, right? Um, a daughter who feels misunderstood, which you're not telling me that she does, but I would assume. I would assume that she's not feeling so comfortable or feeling so good about herself or about what's being asked of her or about how she's being treated. That's a very big big problem. A teenage girl, or a teenage boy for that matter, that's going through teenage years experiencing the uncomfortable or unpleasant feelings of, of being looked down at or being mistreated or being um, treated differently, or whatever it is that this girl might be feeling, that, that could develop into a big problem. Now, before I go on, let me be very clear. I don't think, necessarily, you're doing anything wrong. I don't think you're mistreating this girl at all. My point is that if she's feeling that way, that could be a very big problem. And I recently heard this from Udm Gudl, who's telling me, you know, that's how it is with children. It's so easy and so common for children to misinterpret parents and to assume that the parents aren't treating them the right way or they're not caring about them or not doing what they should. This is normal. Okay, going into... um, but they're right, but they're wrong, but I can disprove it, but, it's, but I'm really doing so much for my kids. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's so important to realize that kids will be kids and teenagers will be teenagers. And when a child is feeling upset or not part of the family or whatever it is, even if, they're, even if it's their fault and they should have done things differently and you try to explain it, remember, this is a bigger problem. So instead of focusing on the part about what do I do if I can't get my, my daughter or my son to help out, I think the bigger issue is, what can I do to make my child happier? And, obviously, she's happier, feeling better. Maybe she'll want to help out. So that's just one thing I want to, I want to point out. That it's, not, it's not all about you and your relationship with, with, with her in terms of getting her to do what you want. Now, I hope I'm not coming across sounding critical. You know, this is, this is the way people see a problem. I'm telling my daughter what to do. She's not doing it. This is my issue. I'm just trying to point out there's probably much, much more issue here that needs to be addressed. That's number one. Number two, and again, at the risk of sounding critical, and I'm just trying to give some insight. Very often, I spoke about this specifically many times. I have speeches just about this topic alone. Turning a chinech issue into a bias issue, let's call it, Tur- turning a parenting issue into a marriage issue is a problem. It's a problem. It's even when you're right. Even if your, your spouse is doing something very wrong, your husband or your wife is mistreating a kid or whatever it is, you want to deal with it as a chinech issue, turning it into a relationship issue and feeling um, resentment and turning it into a, a me you issue and we're not getting along now because of this issue that we're having with a child, it's a big problem. Khenak is Shulam bias is It's sad when people turn a chinach issue into a marriage issue and now you have two problems. And it's just the opposite as well. It's sad when people turn a marriage issue into a chinach issue. And because I'm not getting along with my spouse, now the kids have to know about it and, and be mixed into it and it's gonna affect it's gonna affect them as well. So that's that's first of all. You always want to compartmentalize your problems and don't let them don't let that ripple effect you know, uh, uh, turn, turn over everything in your life. That's first of all. So aside from the fact that you're hurting your own shalom bias, it's also important to realize that it goes back and affects your chinuch now as well. The fact that you're not getting along with your husband, now again, I don't know if, the, if your children are noticing anything or not, I'm just saying that being on the same page as your husband and overlooking any difficulties to be united and to have a good shalom bias for everyone not only for the person writing me this letter, it's so important for your children. So even if it's, if it's, you know, on one hand you feel like, yeah, but somewhere else I'm losing out because my kids aren't listening as much, you're still going to be gaining more, even just by being happily married. Now, aside from that, let me point out three points that I tell people often. And I get this complaint often, and I spoke about this in the past specifically as well. What do I do if my spouse is not joining me in the mahalach that I think is right for my kids? I think I actually have a, a class that's titled something like that specifically. Right? I, I feel that my husband should be more uh, you know, demanding or, or whatever it is that, that I want, or the other way around, I feel that my husband should be less demanding, and he's not. What do we do now? So there's three things that are very important to remember, and I'm going to say them very briefly. One, your husband or your wife or whoever it is has the right to disagree with you. Just remember that. Just remember that you have an opinion on how something should be done, regardless of why you have an opinion or how good you could prove your point. Your husband has a right to disagree with you. In general, he has that right. That, that's just something to remember. You, you can't impose how you feel on someone because that's what you think is right. That, that's first of all. It's, it's very important. Another thing, and again, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and, and explain what he might be thinking, even though I don't know who he is, I don't know who you are. Okay? He might see what you're doing as something that's not working. He doesn't want to do what's not working. You're trying to get your daughter to help, and you're telling her many times, and it's not working. Now, I'm not going to say necessarily that you have to stop asking just because it's not working, but it's hard to say that somebody else has to join you in doing something that's not working. Now, I understand that some people will say, well, if he would join me in it, then we'd be on the same page, then she would do it. And my response to that often is, and it's not only about this specific example, but I hear this very often, that I understand that you might feel that if he would join you on the same page and be more demanding of her... um, and less accepting of her excuses or whatever it is, maybe she would help more on the other hand, maybe not maybe what's, what's, what's letting her feel a little bit understood is the fact that at least Tati gets me maybe at least I have one parent who's not upset at me, maybe that's what's doing it maybe if he would join you and you have two parents ganging up on a kid obviously you're right, it might help but it might not, it might cause a lot of damage so just think about it. Aside from the fact that he's allowed to disagree and aside from the fact that he's allowed to believe that it won't help because he's not seeing it help, you have to understand that, that very often you might feel that he's enabling a certain misbehavior, but on the contrary, he might actually be saving this child from feeling totally misunderstood, and I've seen that very often. So that was just in brief. Again, I'm not taking sides, and it could be you are right. I'm just trying to give you a perspective you know, on, on why it's not good to turn this into a rational bias uh, issue. Now let me try to focus a little more on a solution um, because that's really what I was asked for. And I'll start with this. You know, with, every, with every problem that you're looking for a solution, you want to first understand the problem. And part of understanding the problem is always trying to figure out what would my daughter say if she would hear uh, my question or if she would hear me complain about her to someone else. Now, very often people go into this defensive mode. Yeah, she would probably say that she helps a lot, but really she doesn't. Take it slow. Let's see if you can first understand what it is that she would say. Could be some of it is total nonsense. Could be some of it is, is a total fabrication could be some of it has some legitimate reasoning to it. In other words, if she would say, for example, that I do the most around here, and really it's not true, then I understand that, okay, maybe it's just the way she sees it. And that also would be important to understand. Why does she see it that way? But sometimes her her answer might be, um, because whatever I do, I anyway don't get appreciation. Now, maybe you really do say some thank you, but maybe not enough. Maybe she would say, "I'm, I'm never given any choices. I always get the hardest thing to do. Maybe it's nonsense. Maybe it's how she feels. Maybe there's something to do about it so it's always, under, it's always important to try to get at least another perspective what is it, what is it that she's seeing what is it that she's getting so stuck on maybe you don't know at all, maybe it's important to discuss it maybe it's just important to try to be creative and come up with it on your own but it's important to understand the, the situation and, and so often people get stuck on but she's wrong, but, she's, but I'm right, but I can prove it it's so silly to get stuck on right and wrong in general in life, you want to be successful, not right certainly when it comes to kids unfortunately, children and then teenagers, and even adult children, will so often you know, mistreat a relationship with their parents because of how they see something. And you could be right from today till tomorrow. At the end of the day, this is causing a lot of hurt feelings. You're not getting anywhere by being right. Now, do I have to bend towards my child? Shouldn't she be bending towards me? Again, you could be right. But if you want to be successful, it's just something to think about. What is it that my child is seeing or thinking that I could do something about? That's first of all. Second of all, Let's talk about how to get someone to do something in general, before we talk about your daughter specifically. There's asking someone to do something, and then there's, there's, there's telling someone to do something. Okay. I, again, I don't like nitpicking, but I get this knee-jerk reaction when I read something. I don't want people to be too afraid to write something to me, but let me just point it out. One first, you write that she doesn't have many obligations to do at all, and when, and when asked, she always has an issue. So it sounds like you ask her. But then it says that you, she has no problem ignoring you when you tell her to do something. Now, I know you didn't mean it. I'm just pointing it out. There's asking someone to do something, and there's telling someone to do something. Sometimes the fact that you tell someone to do something causes a certain resistance, and and people don't like to be told what to do. And if you would only ask them to do something, maybe they would do it better. I don't know. Maybe. Now, sometimes you have to be patient because people try to, you know what, I won't tell them, I won't tell my child what to do, I won't tell my spouse what to do, I'll ask. Oh, I asked, it didn't work. It's not magic, and sometimes you have to be patient, and sometimes it takes a while for people to realize that you're asking and not telling them anymore. So don't get frustrated when you ask someone to do something and they still don't do it. It's still the right way to communicate. It's very important to know how to be patient and to ask nicely. And when you ask, you have a choice. Could you please do this for me? Is it okay? Would you rather do this or that? Would you rather do it earlier or later? Um, Could you be so kind and take care of this? It would mean a lot to me. Even just knowing how to ask someone for something and knowing how to say it would mean a lot to me if you do it and I appreciate how you do it. And when you do it, it's always done right. And that's why I would appreciate it if you could get it done. And it would be so meaningful to me if you could do it earlier. And if not later, would also be good. There's So many ways to express something in a nice way that makes it so much more appealing for somebody to do something for you. Now again, just because I hear people asking, oh, this is, that's how I have to ask my child? I can't, I can't say do something? My mother always told me what to do? Again, you want to be right or you want to be successful? And if doing what you did until now didn't work, then I would definitely suggest changing the tone and the message and and, and, and knowing how to ask for something to be done nicely. And in general, I would say that even if somebody doesn't have a teenager who's saying no, and even if you don't have somebody who's resisting obligations, it's still nice to to ask nicely. People don't realize. Sometimes I hear it from people talking about how they grew up and my parents and this and that. Even a child who is doing what they're being told to do, they would also appreciate if they were asked nicely. People don't realize sometimes the benefit of just being pleasant, of being nice about something. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything on your own. It doesn't mean you have to be afraid to ask your child to help you. It just means that when you're nicer about it, people appreciate it. People like doing things for you. People feel like you appreciate it. People, feel, people wait for the thank you, and then they get to the thank you because you asked. And if you asked, then you, know, you should say thank you. As opposed to controlling and demanding and barking, even when people listen. So that's a general idea of how to get someone to do something. Now, let me, get, let, let me step even more back and pick up on the bigger issue. What, what I believe the bigger issue here is, and this is something that you know we started off with, it, it's a shame not to be a step ahead. Right? When the metzoiter wasn't a step ahead, it took a lot longer to repair the damage. The step ahead means that it's important to understand the nature of a child, and this is something I, I talk about often. Like I said, I, write, I wrote a book about it, understanding the emotional child. There are children that are sensitive, hypersensitive. This is, a, this is their natural Um, instinctive way of of seeing things and experiencing things so dependent on how they feel not all children are like that not all girls are like that not all teenagers are like that that's a myth but there are people there are boys and girls of all ages and all stages that are very sensitive and very emotional when somebody is hypersensitive so much will depend on how they feel so much will depend on on how they're feeling right now so much will depend on how they're feeling about you how much they are feeling about a relationship by the time they're not listening to what you ask them to do, that's just a small little piece of the puzzle. That's just where it's coming out. That's just where you're noticing a certain resistance. It's just a telling sign of, whoa, I'm not feeling good. I'm not listening to you, not because I, I don't know that I'm supposed to listen to you, not because I, I don't want to do what, I, what you're telling me, it's because I'm not feeling good now. Maybe I'm not feeling good about how you talk to me, about how you treat me, about how you think about me or feel about me. And again, nobody has to get defensive, but I treat you nicely, I treat you the same as everyone else, I never did anything wrong, and you're the one that... It doesn't matter. When somebody's hypersensitive, so much depends on how they feel. And they have very sensitive feelings, and it could be very often irrational and illogical, and it's so important to not wait for the, for the symptom to come out when you see somebody getting, getting upset or angry. It's important to see this early on, and very often you'll be able to see it on small children Sensitive child, likes to be spoken to softly, likes to be given the respect and the good feeling. You don't have to wait for a teenager to, 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 you know, to ignore you or to be rebellious, chas Shulam, to notice sensitivity. It's so important to pick up on this earlier and realize that, yes, you're going to treat somebody sensitive with kid gloves and, and, and try to do whatever you could to make them feel good. Now, there are some people that go to one of the two extremes, and either they they, they you know, bend over backwards and try to make someone feel good because you're very sensitive and I'm going to always tell you the right thing and I'm, I'm never going to ask you what to do and I'm never going to ask you to help out because I don't want to hurt your feelings and then the people go the other way and they know you're not going to I'm not going to let this happen you're going to you, you, who do you think you are you're getting away with murder I'm going to make sure that you do whatever you're supposed to whatever everyone else is doing and they use more force and more koyach now not, neither of those two approaches work long term you can force a girl to do something and she doesn't have a choice and she does it and she just gets more resentful. And, and, and more, uh, more, more pain and more suffering and, and, and the whole relationship goes, goes, uh, takes a left turn. And then you have those who think, that you know, okay, so I won't ask you for anything. then You're not even helping anyone. You're not helping a kid by letting them be self-absorbed and feel like they can get away with anything. You're not helping the siblings when they see that happen. And you're not letting your child feel good. Nobody feels good about being absolved from any responsibility and any obligation and, and taking part of a family. Nobody feels good about it. So even though sometimes it's easier short-term to not ask a child to do something, because like this, you avoid the conflict and the confrontation and the resistance and, you know, and, and, the, you know, and the saying no, but nobody's feeling good about it. So if your goal is to help an emotional child feel good, you make them feel good by asking them to help and asking nicely. You make them feel good by, by showing them that they're important and you need them. And when they do something, it makes you feel good. And, and they're an important part of the family and you can't do without them. That's what makes a child feel good. So that balance of knowing how to make someone feel very good, in general, focusing on the relationship, focusing on making them feel special, focusing on making them feel loved, focusing on, on seeing whatever they need or whatever it is that's going to make them you know, feel better and closer and, 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 and want to please you, and at the same time, not being afraid of them, but being very assertive, very expressive, but all about yourself, not in a demanding way, not in a controlling way, you know, it would mean a lot to me, how can you do it, when can you do it, I'll give you a choice, what is it that's easier for you? Either, whatever you do, I really appreciate, and all that. It's, it's so important, and it's so helpful. It's so helpful when you're dealing with a sensitive child. Now, I can go on and talk about this for hours, and I have courses about this, and I, you know, I, 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 I have so much to say about it, but I just wanted to give the perspective. When you're dealing with an emotional child, so much has to do with the relationship, so much has to do with how you address the child, and the, the, the way to go about it is not by ignoring the child or now you know, not asking them. It doesn't make anyone feel better, and it's the wrong thing to do. Now, let me just go back a minute, just one minute to the to the bias part. I think it's so important to sit down with your husband, agree on some approach, doesn't matter what, if he's right or you're right or neither of you are right or you can discuss it and agree on something. It's so important for children to see that parents are on the same page. All I meant earlier was that making your husband be on your page in the name of being on the same page is not the way to go, right? You're not joining him on his page so if you really believe it's important, and it is important for children to see that parents are on the same page, sit down together, talk about it. And if you can't agree on something, that's fine as well. You don't have to agree. You could submit to a, 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 third, a, a third party, some objective third party opinion. It's fine. Just make sure you're not, you're not, you're not uh, specifically disagreeing in front of the children, that's for sure. So even if you're not going to be agreeing on something uh, mamish together, at least you shouldn't be disagreeing. That's, that's also very important. I want to end off by mentioning, that even though I think that people use the, the teenage myth um, a little too much, and people blame too much on teenage years and things like that, but at the end of the day, there's something to it. You definitely have to take consideration uh, about the age of a child and, and change things as they go on. There are people that parent 18-year-olds as if they're six-year-olds, and this is because that's what they get used to. There are, pa- there are actually people that parent 40-year-olds like they parent 12-year-olds, because that's what they got used to. The, your approach with children definitely has to change as they get older. And there is a feeling of independence that, that a teenager gets that you don't want to challenge too much. And just like Khazal teaches us, you know, that to hit a 13-year-old, you know, things change. Right? He might hit you back. Well, you have to be careful. So you definitely have to be careful about how you ask a teenage child, especially if they might say no. You know, based on a loch, you might have a you might have an issue with lifnaever, or just taking into consideration that you don't want to challenge a child in a way that they they might not be able to, to handle it. That's first of all. Aside from the whole idea of chinuch does go on you know, by the time somebody is a, a Goodle or a gudoyle, you know, if, you, if you're responsible, but it, it's clear that you have to try to apply your chinuch and your strategies and whatever it is in a way that, that could be successful instead of, instead of you being right. And it's also important to just realize at some point, you know, you did yours, it's not working, and this, this, I'm saying this because I see people doing this when the kid's 25 and, and 36, comes a point where you just realize, that's it, I did mine, I tried. If it didn't work until the 18 years old, then, then it might not work now either, so let me just stop. So these are things you have to... Now, this doesn't mean that children are absolved from Kibbutz Avuayim at any point in their life. It just means that from the parent's perspective, you shouldn't be telling your child, no, you don't have to honor me or respect me. No, they do have to. But from your perspective as a Makhanech, it's it's definitely something to take into consideration. Your child's getting older, certain things are becoming more difficult. You might just have to tweak your approach, not talking to a teenager the way you would have spoken to a little child, especially if it's simply not working anymore. So I hope I gave a little uh, perspective about you know, how to understand the problem as a, as a, as a broader problem, and how to make sure it doesn't, it doesn't evolve into other problems affecting your marriage and things like that. And just understanding a child and realizing that being a step ahead and not waiting for crashes to happen, not waiting for bumps to come, you know, it, it just makes it so much easier to, to help a child, to help yourself, to help the relationship and I, myself, help us see from each and every one of our sweet children.